We care so much about our clothes. Our clothes have stories. They have memories. For many of us, they represent far more than what they're actually worth. So how do we take better care of them? My guest this week wanted to find a better way to take care of her clothes. Do you throw it in the washing machine? Do you use baby shampoo? How can we take care of the things that take care of us? After all, your clothes are your memories. My guest this week is Lindsay Boyd, co-founder of The Laundress. Lindsay and I discuss how she applied the lessons she learned at Chanel to building and running her own business, starting out by hand-washing sweaters in her New York City apartment bathtub. We also discuss what it takes to be a good manager and how she ended up partnering with John Mayer. You, so your family's from Indiana, but you grew up in New York? Well, yeah. So my mom, my mom's family. So my mom's extended family, um, her, you know, all of her cousins and my grandparents were from there. Um, no, my dad's from New York uh, and I grew up in upstate New York, um, Mm. Hudson Valley. And I lived in Manhattan for 23 years. So right out of college. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's always, it'll always be my, my first love in New York City. Um, I started the laundress in New York City. I raised a family in New York City. I got married in New York City. So, um, and yeah, so New York's very much a part of who I am. Yeah. And will always be. Um, yeah, so I have a little New York, a little Midwest, um, and, and now, now, now maybe a little Miami in. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that seems like a good balance in terms of, you know, you, you, you don't get too jaded. You don't get too bitter or angry. You know, you get to kind of tap into all the good stuff of, of each area. Um, so, I mean, I know that, you know, you've been on how I built this, you've been on a lot of the other shows where you've kind of talked about some of the origins of the laundress. Uh, but for the sake of this, I, I apologize to ask you to repeat some of these sorts okay. of stories, but I promise we'll talk about other things that feel a little bit more fresh and interesting for you. Um, cause so you had said that you started the laundry 16 years ago. So this is what 2004. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, how did some of this stuff happen? Cause I know that you had previously been in, in the garm trade mm-hmm. and were b- getting pretty overwhelmed with, with dry cleaning and laundry and stuff as a whole. Yeah. So my background is in fashion and mm-hmm. actually I went to school for textile fiber science. So with a concentration on business and design, um, at Cornell university. So my education and then, which obviously parlayed me into working, I worked at Brooks brothers and then on, and then I worked at Chanel mm-hmm. for a little over five years. Um, and so I had all of these, really beautiful textiles, right? And, and a real love and understanding for clothing and fabric and, and um, really just as a consumer myself, frankly, I was frustrated with dry cleaning. And I knew from my textile experience and my business partner and I both had the same background in, in education and she was working at Ralph Lauren. Um, and so we we knew that you didn't have to dry clean everything. And really, in fact, and and honestly, speaking of the Midwest roots, you know, that goes everything. We didn't dry clean, you know, you, you washed your things and you preserved, you preserved those heirloom pieces and you took care of them with a lot of care, right? Not, Mm -hmm. not just kind of disposable, if you will. I'm, uh, that's something that I think I'm, I'm extremely grateful for because I have an appreciation for keeping things in my life for a long time. Um, so that 
really with that kind of love for preservation and understanding that dry cleaning wasn't, didn't have to be the only answer. I was spending a ton of money and that this was during that sample sale heyday when like you could get things for so like 90% off retail or something crazy. I miss those days. Um, (laughs) But you know, that doesn't happen very much anymore. And I could fit in the samples, which also doesn't really happen for me anymore (laughs) (laughs) as I'm in my forties now. But, um, you know, out of college, I, I, um, we were given clothing allowances at, at Chanel and so we had to wear the clothes and. Oh my God. Wait, hold on about that. That's gotta be the only reason why people go and work there. I mean, my buddies that work at Cuccinelli, they're like, well, you know, we do get a pretty generous clothing allowance. Oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, a lot of these companies still do that, which is fantastic. And frankly, that you have to wear the clothing. So of course. it's nice to have that as a benefit, right? And most of the time, your salary doesn't necessarily support <laughs> the clothing price point. So um, sure. <laughs> so we all looked really fabulous in our samples. But what was happening was I was spending, I remember um, looking at the bills for my dry cleaning bills and being like $200 or, you know, like a lot of money. Um for for caring for something where actually it came back, it didn't smell very good, didn't look as nice as it did before. Um, the fibers were a little flattened, the dry cleaning chemicals smelled bad, um, the the stains were set in. And and remember, these were a lot of times I was we were wearing samples. So right. models had worn them. So they'd been through the <laughs> around the block. <laughs> So they were, they were worn in a bit and, um, coming back, not looking as great. And I started hand-washing things in baby shampoo. And I was doing that in college really, because I didn't want to spend money at the, I didn't want to spend money on laundry in college. You Wait, know, who taught you to use baby shampoo? That's a good idea. I used baby shampoo because I knew it was gentle and it oh. smelled good. So, um, it's not ultimately that sort of surfactant isn't the best for fabrics, like in long-term. Sure. It was a good solution for me. Like really just grabbing a bar of soap would have been fine too. Mm. Um, but I like the liquid, the consistency, it, it mixed well with the water and I love the smell. So that's what I was using for a lot of hand washing in college and then into, you know, after college and then realizing that this was, there had to be something else because everything that was in the, everything in the market at the time was really one size fits all. So it was like, you have your grocery store brand, whatever that may be. And you kind of just grab it blindly in the grocery store, right? No one really thought about what they were washing their clothing with, let alone the chemicals. And, you know, the list goes on and on, but no one really, no one, we didn't really care, I guess. Or maybe it's not that we didn't care. Maybe we just didn't know there wasn't, there was only one way, right. That we knew. Right. If you only give a handful of products to someone, you have to choose one, right? And they were all, they all, the landscape looked very much the same. There was Woolite, of course, which has been around for forever. Um, but Woolite wasn't the best solution. I've actually had bad experiences with Woolite and products of delicate that were in the market for delicate items didn't really clean properly. Because Woolite is the. De- like detergent, I'm air quoting there for knitwear or for wool, I guess. It was exactly, it was meant, it, it's meant for delicate items. So things okay. that you would want to wash that would, 
need more special special attention, special care. And on and the laundress is obviously designed around laundry for that reason, you know. So to be able to wash silk, your cashmere, sportswear, and really think about how you're washing these things to get out the scent, the get out the stains, get out the odor, um, preserve the fibers. And so the dry, dry cleaning was a big part of why we started. Um, we also were really unhappy with the laundry landscape. You know, what was, there wasn't anything that smelled really good. There were, the ingredients were not very great either. Uh, a lot of petroleum based at the time, there still is Petro in that, in the space, but, but less obviously because more people are demanding, there's more of a demand for uh, plant-based products, which mm. is because plant-based products, in fact, work better as um, that they're more efficacious in the washing cycle and cleaning cycle. Okay, just one a sidebar. Mm-hmm. Why did it take this long for people to start using plant-based stuff? And and I am excuse my ignorance here because I I really don't know. Was it? I mean, I'm not. Is there some dark web lobbying here? Is there just was it just easier to use stuff? Was there no technology? There's a couple different layers for that. So the petroleum petroleum's inexpensive, right? In that you know to buy as a as an ingredient for cleaning. It can clean, right. but it's not the best, right? So, but it's readily available. It's inexpensive. Um, and that's ultimately, that's that, right? So plant-based ingredients, more expensive. Um, mm. You know, you need a little, like it needs a little bit more. We use enzymes. So enzymes are really what get out the stains. Whereas petroleum chemicals, you don't necessarily need you don't need enzymes. So that's, and, and the lands and people just didn't, the consumers really create that demand, right? There was mm. this awareness at the time. And we're just now in the last five, six years, really people, the cleaning space is really getting attention for people are saying, well, what am I using in my home? You know, is this bleach is toxic and blah, blah, you know, it hit first with sort of the, you know, the beauty space and the food space were first to really change consumers' behavior and really create that demand for having more plant-based and be more eco. Um, and now the cleaning space is shifted. Again, consumer demand and and really people just having more awareness. So it was, so yeah, so what I'm gathering is it was really more of just like people saying, I want yeah. my, you know, cleaning products to have this and and the and the companies just kind of evolved for them. Yeah, and at the right. time there were a few brands out there, but they I always say they're collecting dust on the bottom of the shelf in in some health food store, you know. And and, right. and, yeah. they, and you know what else? They didn't work. They don't really work. Like you can't just have plant-based surfactants and just move on. Like you need other ingredients in that to make yeah. it really robust and like really work. Um, so that came and then, you know, cons- it's consumer, consumer awareness. And, gotcha. and, and we were really, we really pioneer, we were really pioneers in that space. And I think we were one of the people that were part of that con- awareness for consumers and really educate education, you know, and educating people on why they should use a better product um, because it's better for you and for the environment, but also 
you know, bet really better for the life of your clothing. Um, and I wash all of, you know, I've washed Chanel jackets. I've washed. What? Yeah. I'm wa- yes, yes, yes. There's a video of me doing it. <laughs> I mean, things that people would never think to wash, right? Even, I mean, cashmere sweaters that we wash all the time. People now, like they, some some people will still say, well, what? I'm not washing my cashmere sweater. And then I'll show them the video and I'll show them the sweater. And they're, they're, you know, then the, you know, the rest is history because they're, they're sold, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, can we jump down that hole for a minute? Because yeah. when the laundry started, I, I, I mean, I remember it and I remember, I didn't know if it was a product or just an educational service because right. at the time, and I think, I mean, this is like early, early internet, you know, where it was like, I don't know, quick time or real player that was like playing some of these videos that people were watching, or you had to have flash to do it. And it would, you know, you and you and your partner were showing how to clean things. And yep. for me, as someone who I had just moved to New York, I mean, this is, yeah, this is Oh four or whatever. I just moved out there and I was trying to figure out how to clean stuff where like I didn't really have access to laundry. Um, I mean, of course I had a laundromat down the street, but I didn't really have any money. And so I was cleaning things in the bathtub. I'd also just bought, you know, these Dior jeans that were super important to me. And so all these things. And I remember like watching some of these videos and I didn't even connect the dots. And I say this in the most complimentary way that you were also a product. And I think, in a weird way to scale way back when you look at like how people can start a business. For me, you were a service and a knowledge base and the, and the product in my mind actually even came later. And so that when I, when I understood that you were a product, the association of it was immediately the highest standard because I learned everything from you. Mm, thank you. That's yeah. And I don't think you're wrong in, in your experience. And I definitely, and actually we went af- we went at it as a very, you know, content-based, education-based brand, right? right? We wanted right. to teach people. We didn't want to product push, you know? It wasn't... The product was obviously important and still is, um, but we wanted our clients and customers to really uh, believe in what we, you know, really help them. We wanted to help them, basically, as simple as that, you know? We wanted to educate them. We wanted to... And, if, and build their trust in what we were doing and really become sort of that like expert and authority in that space before we just went out and sold a product because we were extremely thoughtful about how we built the brand and how we thought about the product. We did research and development for two years. Um, Moonlight. Two years? Yeah. Yeah. For two years. So we, at every holiday, every weekend, um, evenings, you know, when all our friends were going out, we were, in the business plan. Um, but we were excited about it and we wanted to know as much as possible before we actually, you know, took the leap and right. leaving our jobs too. Right. We had the, some of the most coveted jobs in fashion and, um, Ralph Lauren and, and Gwen was in design and I was at Chanel and in ready to, in the ready to wear division. And, you know, I wasn't going to leave that, leave my, my, <laughs> Right. job to if I didn't have a real reason to right um and so we were really methodical about it and and very thoughtful and I think ultimately that shows and we first we really wanted to do a service and so the fact that you 
kind of felt this sort of customer service and and education piece of it first doesn't surprise me because we originally thought we were going to be sort of the bliss spa, you know, of detergents. Oh, yeah. Really kind of, that was our dream. And we wanted to have that experience. So you could go to your laundress shop and have this washing experience, but you could be in London and buy the products if you couldn't, you know, actually access the spa. Um, and now bliss looks very different than it did when, you know, when we started, it was just the one location and the, the catalog and people would buy the products from, you know, all over the world. So we played around with that a little bit. We do have, we still have grandfathered people into our service. Um, they ship their stuff to you. Yeah. We still okay. have some people. Um, I mean, we, so we tried it out. So we charged $25 a sweater in the beginning. I was hand washing the sweaters in my apartment on 22nd street. And I just got back from the container store, bought every single drying rack <laughs> possible. Oh my God. Mind you, I just moved in with my now husband, but boyfriend at the time, we just moved into an apartment together and he came and we had these really high ceilings and it was a cool apartment. It was really good because we, I had room to store all the sweaters, but we had a customer send us 50 sweaters and I was hand washing them in my bathtub and, um, like Lucien Palafine sweaters. Um, it's like almost, it's like $1,200. Of- oh my gosh. And I'm nervous. I was sweating it out every sweater at a time. <laughs> oh my God. But I just kept thinking, okay, I would wash my own sweaters. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And she's actually one of our clients that we still have um, that sends in sweaters. And we have people that will send in their seasonal sweaters to us. And and But now, you know, obviously we want... We want to empower people to do it at, at at home. It's so easy to do it at home. Um, and now that we have all of the video, like the videos you said and the education, people now trust that we they can do it at home. Yeah. Wh- who's where did the idea of making the videos come from? Because I mean that it's definitely a pivot of yeah. being like almost a mail order service to to you know a a, a big capital B brand and educational. Yeah. So the videos came very early on. I mean, we were, um, our first video was very like probably a year into the bit into the brand. Um, you know, videos, tutorials, how to's has, have always been really important to me. I'm, I, my background is in sales and marketing. So from a, you know, education piece from Chanel because I was educating all of our clients on, you know, sort of the collection and the why, like why this piece is so special and how it's done. And, and that thought process really came from my end because I knew how important it was to explain to people the why, you know, versus just like what you're saying, we became sort of the, we are these experts because we talk to our customers about how to do things, not just throwing a product at them. And that's what these luxury brands do so well. A lot of these, and a couture brands, right? Like a Chanel does it. I mean, if you, I'll never forget going to um, one of their ateliers in, in France and seeing this, this woman actually braid and interlace the leather into the chain of the 
handbags, like unbelievable. And then the next woman was doing the hardware. And then the next woman was doing the quilting. And you're just looking at the, I mean, my mouth, my, my jaw dropped, right? Because you're then the light bulb goes on and you're like, okay, so this is what you're paying for. You know, Mm -hmm. you're this, it's a heritage brand and you're paying for the brand clearly too, but the quality is just unreal. Um, and yeah, so a lot of that learning can't really is infused in the laundress and not sacrificing quality. That's why our price point is a little higher, um, than your average laundry detergent. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, and one thing in terms of Chanel, cause I think it's a really fine line that you all walked and nailed, uh, because I mean, Chanel, you know what? It was only like recently, like Louis Vuitton and Chanel and some of these other brands started to be like, "Hey, this is kind of how it's made, but we're not going to show you too much. Like, you don't want to show too much of the chocolate factory." Right. And you know what you guys did is it felt more like you led with that. And when you feel, when I think of companies and brands, specifically in like the home world that lead with videos, I think of things like Scrub Daddy, which is a great product, but it's like dumb. And I, and while I respect it, I think the advertising is like dumb. And, and in a weird way that like over time, I'm just like, it's not cool. It's stupid. And you guys came out with something that could have been awful. Right. I mean, but you, you know, how you did it, even with like the all, you know, white laundry room and the small little pail that you guys use that was almost like a bussing table of how you had washed your stuff. You created an experience that was fun and exciting uh, from something that was like boring, mundane and thoughtless. And I think that's that's the thing I, I really just want to call out too, is because when you think of companies now that are trying to, I don't know, reinvent the wheel or disrupt some other marketplace so many people forget about like, what's something you hate doing? What's something you don't think is sexy? What's something you don't think is good? Like, and how do you go and look at that and and become an expert in that field? And I think, I mean, cause it's like, you could teach a billion business classes just about the origins of your brand. And it's, it's, it's just fantastic to me. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I mean, we, we really wanted to create a lifestyle too. Um, right. And really get people to, and, and an experience, like you said, I mean, you, you're, you obviously, you have a very good understanding of what, of what we've built and, and been watching it since the beginning. So, and all of the things that you've touched on it, it is really important to, um, think of, I mean, it was very authentically who we are too, which I think is really important. I think it's tough for brands that start out in one way for so long, you know, a decade plus, and then try to pivot in the other direction. Right. hard to recreate yourself. Um, it's, you're not going to get that level of experience you know, at, at this point with, with using, you know, a brand like Tide. You, yeah. It's going to happen. Um, but I think that it's important that people, I mean, it, people that are starting a brand or thinking about a brand or trying to make, I mean, just really find what's authentically authentic to you, you know, and what you really, like we really wanted product that was better and that smelled good. Yeah. We wanted that. And, and we created this and there wasn't anything out there and it was risky though. It was super, people thought we were like, what? I mean, I can't, for at least five years, people question our idea. Really? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> all the time. But you're like, I got, you know, someone giving me, you know, 1200 bucks to wash all their sweaters at my house. Come on. I'm on to something. <laughs> Exactly. I can't be that off. I can't be that off. There's guys yeah. get a few more of those people on board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure. The, the experience is important and creating that lifestyle and creating product that works and, and things that we use and want. Um, that's really important. It, it- so you're you're at your apartment with your boyfriend and you're cleaning sweaters and had you created you, you know uh I'm air quoting here like the laundress you know fabric shampoos and all that stuff yet? Yes. We created we had we 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 launched the brand with 13 SKUs. And those 13 products are still top selling products for us today. Um with the exception like our Lolabo collaboration is like slam dunk amazing. We, I don't know if you've tried that. If you haven't, I have to send it to you because it's addictive. It's addictive. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you would like it. So make sure yeah. we do so. Um, and actually Sense and launching Sense will be something that we uh, do more of, which is really exciting because we make all of our fragrances. Um, we we blend our essential oils and make our own molecules for fragrances. And like, it is so much fun and it is so important to the brand and the experience. Um, but at that time, back to your question, when I was washing sweaters, absolutely. We had the collection done, but we were toying with, we really wanted a shop. We really wanted So the laundress store we launched, not, you know, it wasn't that long ago, um, about five years ago. And our store in Soho. Um, but we really wanted to have a store and shop in the very, from the very beginning, but that was kind of laughable because we didn't know anything about service. <laughs> you know, We know how to do it ourselves, but we didn't know about how to run like, you know, a dry cleaning esque service, but not dry cleaning. So washing service. Um, we did a ton of education and we partnered up with a, a green dry cleaner in New York to see if they could do the service for us. Um, mm. And so we did a little bit of that. It just never really materialized to be, we do product a lot better and we educate a lot better than having our, than having a service. Um, and, uh, and frankly, it's great because more people can have access to it. Yeah. And we can, we have, we're a global brand. So we are able to, you know, to reach everybody. And so, but I mean, at the time you're just in New York, you're, you're not, you're not this global brand and you, you come up to the challenges of scaling this, Yeah, you know, what, what was that like? Because obviously, I mean, you weren't just like pouring bottles of detergent in your house, were you? No, no, never, (laughs) never making, never making product in my kitchen, never pouring detergent in my, in my house for sure. (laughs) We we did a lot of other crazy things, but not um or cre- I should say creative. We call it like arts and crafts. We've done a lot of arts and crafts in our time, but not um no formulations. Yeah, in the house. Um, yeah, we did a lot of shows, a lot of trade shows, and actually from the very beginning, we did sh- trade shows in New York, which gave us exposure to buyers from really from Europe. Um, it, then we also, then we ultimately did a show called Maison Objet, which is in France just outside of Paris. And, um, and that's like the, the gold standard for that. I mean, you don't get bigger than that. 
No, it's the yeah. best show in the home space. 100%. Yeah. It's a gorgeous show. If you haven't been and want to go, you should go. Um, they have textiles and furniture and furnishings and candles and all these things from all over the world. Um, so there we had exposure to different distributors from Europe, distributors from Japan, Korea, and that's when it opened up for us. So we were able to get, um, well, actually one of our first stores was Isitan and, um, Lane Crawford in Hong Kong. So that we got a few stores on our own, uh, retail stores. And then, that led then there was an interest from distributors. They found out about our brand and contacted us to, as they wanted to distribute our product and distributors works just, I don't, you know, not everyone knows how they work, but they're really helpful to, to brands because what they do is they have their own team of salespeople and PR and marketing, and they buy the product from you and you give them all your collateral, all the education, and then they distribute for you. Yeah. And obviously at a, you know, a, a cost that's less than wholesale. So, because they have markups and things that they need to hit as well, but it's a really great way to scale and get exposure quickly as a, as a young new brand. Yeah. And so you guys, you know, next thing you know, you're, you were in Bergdorf too, right? Did that? Yeah, that was our first, our, one of our first stores was Bergdorf and, and I got that I got that account when I was during my lunch hour at Chanel, <laughs> which I'm sure if my boss, uh, former boss ever hears any of these podcasts, I'm sure she, she knows or is laughing or I'm sure she's proud. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I always think of that. Like I did a really, I did, I took my job very seriously. I, and I actually got promoted during this whole time. So I always say like, it wow, wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> if I wasn't working my butt off, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's interesting. A lot of people, and this is not to go down a rabbit hole, but a lot of companies, if you're not a hundred percent focused on everything that you're supposed to do for your primary role for whomever it is, say you work for, I don't know, Trader Joe's, right. And everything you do is all Trader Joe's life. But, and then all of a sudden you kind of have this other passion. I feel like it's only been recently that companies have been like, Oh, this is good. And we should encourage these people who have these other passions, these other careers. When I worked, um, I worked in the music industry for a long time and I worked for a record label sort of conglomerate called the beggars group. And you had like XL recordings with like Adele and Radiohead. And then you had, you know, Matador and you had all these other labels and there were people that worked there. And there was there was a guy in the warehouse um, named Dean Bain who was just doing mail order. But he had started his own record label just like on the side. And one of the things I loved, especially coming from a place like I had previously worked at Apple, to where if you start another company while you work there, they own that company. Uh, that's a whole other can of worms. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, at Beggars, they were really, really encouraging of that. And so much that they eventually uh, bought his label and, and gave, yeah. And and I just think that's so important for companies to look at. It's like, okay, if your staff has this other passion, like how do you encourage that? Because, you know, the the loyalty that gets built from being, you know, it makes me wonder, like, why didn't Chanel buy the laundress? Yeah. I mean, that, that's... Yeah, Chanel by the laundress. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's a good, you know, we never approached the, the Chanel family, the, you know, but um, yeah, that, that's an interesting, very interesting point. 
Yeah, and and I don't, and I'm not poo-pooing anyone here or anything, but it's just like when you have staff and and employees who have these other passions, yeah. I feel like it's really only been recently where companies are like, hey, no, let's let's encourage that, let's mentor them. Because I mean, look, look at what you've built and all the people that you're, you know, help employ and are a part of now. Yeah. Um, to where, and otherwise, you know, like what you were doing, you you were kind of trying to hide that you had this other yeah, idea. Of course, yeah. because I was worried about ever, you know, you know, being looked at as if I wasn't doing my my job that I was supposed to do, or exactly point your finger at me if you knew that I had this other thing going on. But in fact, I am like this, such a loyal person, and I would work until you know two a.m. to make sure that my my priority job, which was at the time Chanel. Sure got what they needed first. So I think, um, yeah, but I, you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because, uh, Unilever does a good job of supporting. They allow people within the company to be sort of entrepreneurs and come up with brands. And then they also have, I I feel like they're very good and very open to Mm. people's talents and other things too. I think, you know, people get worried, scared, but if you're do, if you're, if you have a talent, that works for you and they're loyal and they're happy and they have some other passion or interest, they'll just only be happier and more loyal and more, you know, I just feel yeah. like one begets the other. Like, I don't think it's a, we, I've had employees that have expressed that they have interest in things and I, I encourage it. I think it's awesome. If they're doing their job that they need to do for me, who am I to say that they can't have some other passion, especially for me, I would be like such a, <laughs> But I, but I get it. And, you know, and I think, honestly, I think they actually bring it up to me because they know I did it. And, yeah. uh, but I think it's cool. Like, and, and we could benefit, everyone could benefit. It could come full circle. Like if you're, you know, you're an advocate of the laundress and then you start some other brand, like that's obviously non, you don't want to get in a competing story. Sure. <laughs> But, uh, but I think it's, I think it's, um, yeah, I think people are more open to it. I, and I definitely, the landscape now has changed tremendously, um, where all of the employees have had to really pivot and do things out of their, you know, normal day-to-day life. I think, um, companies are, are, I, I hope so. Right. I hope that people are more understanding what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Is it, it builds such a stronger loyalty to the company you're working at, knowing that they're going to be nurturing you, um, that it's, it actually in the long run, everyone wins. Um, yeah. And I, I think happiness is really important in the workplace too, you know, and I, I, I've been extremely fortunate to have, have that in my previous careers. Um, but also being able to develop it myself, creating that, that work environment, you know, work-life balance environment that is truly indicative of my personality and and my partners. And I think, and sort of where we, you know, what our experience was. And I, I hope that larger companies can adapt and learn from smaller brands and smaller companies and, and really the generations below us. I mean, I've had to learn a lot. Like a lot of my employees are younger than me. Um, some are the same age as me. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, it's just more from a generational thing. There's differences that that they need. And frankly, I've learned a lot. I think it's great. I think 
you know, I, I always, I do feel like I sound like a dinosaur, but like, I think about when my parents said, well, that wasn't the way it was when, you know, when we were kids, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) How many times you hear that? And and I'm like, I get, you know, and I, I get where they're coming from, but you know what? I have children now and I'm not going to say that to them. I have to say I'm not, because I think it's not supposed to be the way it was when our parents, right? Like Mm -hmm. moved forward or done anything, if it's the same. (laughs) So I, I think that's, what's been so cool about uh, one of the biggest things for me, if people ask me if I, you know, one of my proudest moments or something that I feel really good about is my, the employees and the, their happiness and the culture we've created. Um, we have this amazing wellness program that we put into place for, for, for the employees for meditation, exercise, yoga, um, and honestly an open platform to say, Hey, is there something that you want to do that, you know, that we should do as a team? I think team building and building that camaraderie amongst people is so important. Um, you know, to have, you don't have to hang out after work together all the time, but you have respect for it. You learn, you, you, you learn to have respect for each other. You, you just automatically do because you're doing things together. You're everybody in our organization works together period like not one person is singly responsible for anything Mm. um and i think even as a you know as a founder manager mentor you name it it's been really challenging for me because i want to help and teach as much as i can but at the same time when you're a founder you have to look at the big picture you can't get into all this nitty-gritty detail um so that was always one of the biggest challenges but i think overall our team has done we've always been like communicate over communicate tell us what you you're looking for what you need and uh, and that's been amazing to me that's mm. been- my the most rewarding pieces of um, having my own business. This episode is brought to you by Topper Jewelers. There are lots of watches out there, and maybe you're just starting to get into them, or maybe you're ready to add that tenth watch to your case. I have been a fan of Topper Jewelers for everything in the watch world. Topper is a great place to nurture my knowledge and help connect me deeper into watches. Family owned and operated. For three generations, Topper is an authorized watch dealer for premium Swiss and Japanese watches from Omega, Grand Seiko, Moser, Longines, and more. They sell the watch you can afford now and the watch you'll buy in the future. It's all through Topper. Topper also specializes in pre-owned watches, carrying a deep selection of references from Rolex, Tudor, Breitling, and many more that changes every week. And if you're subscribed to Topper's email newsletter, you'll get access to four secret additions to their pre-owned drop every Friday morning, giving you the first right of refusal on the hottest offerings of the season. Visit topperjewelers.com to shop, subscribe, and join Topper's very own watch fam. That's T-O-P-P-E-R jewelers.com. Topper Jewelers. Who Was there someone or... A- people that were doing this to you as you were kind of continuing to, to grow the laundress in the early stages? People that were like mentors that were kind of guides and helping you guide this along. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, um, I look to a lot of people that I worked with 
you know, previously. Um, I also, my husband has, was also an entrepreneur. So I worked, you know, learned a lot, like having, he's kind of my toughest critic, which is a good thing. I, you know, I look to, I look to him for, you know, this is the scenario and how do I, um, also my, my friends and my peers that, um, had different work experiences, managing teams. Um, so if that answers your question. So yeah, I look to people in my peer group um, that were older than me or younger than me, you know, whatever, and doing different different fields, not just, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of people in laundry that I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I looked at people, you know, and all across all fields, you know, and, and different, different um, roles and um, a good friend of mine who works, who had, was working closely with team building for other, for, as a consult as a consultant helped me when I was trying to become a better manager, you know, and not that I was bad. I mean, maybe I was at times, but I was learning, you know, and there's a, a learning curve. It's, it's probably the hardest thing you can do is be a manager. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, because you have to, especially when you go from something that's, you know, your baby, you control every aspect of it. You also are like on the high of the fruits of your labor when you work really hard and you see all the stuff you did. And now you have to be in a position where you have employees, um, you have to delegate. And I know that like that, and you know, I mean, my wife talks about this too with managers and stuff that she's worked with is like being able to entrust employees to do what they say they're going to do, trusting the quality of their work and letting go of some of that. I know, I mean, people joke that's like founder syndrome, right? I mean, that's, it's gotta be the, the most difficult thing that anyone wrestles with, especially when it's in your case, like it's, you know, it's you and your partner's company. I mean, this is your baby. Yeah. And I think that was delegating and delegating, well, delegating less. So I, I trust people probably too much. So I'm more like, let's see how they, they're going to sink or swim. Like, let's give it a, give it a try because if you don't, you'll never know, right. You'll never know. You're going to handicap them, meaning you're going to only like, you're just going to micromanage them and they're never going to be able to fly. And so I did a lot of that sink or swim thing. Um, that's really my management style apparently that I've, I've learned. Um, but for me, I want, I, I say sink or swim. It doesn't mean I just give them a task and let them have at it. I like to really teach and, and give examples of what's worked for me. Um, and, look at their personality and say, Hey, you know, I think this might work for you too. Or if it doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, let me know what you think. And I think it's ultimately, yeah, delegation is tough, but you know why it's tough? Because you have to take time to give them the tools and help them and train them. And there's a, there's a transitional period. Yeah. Because if you start delegating, that poor person is just, you're setting them up. If you just first day of the job, (laughs) giving them some task where they don't know the nuances of the business or they don't know where to find these things. And a lot of it is being resourceful as an individual, which will help you be successful, right? If you can ask a lot of questions and, and try to navigate the system as quickly as possible. But I've had that experience, actually, one of my bosses (laughs) bosses <laughs> kind of said to me one day, have you 
uncovered everything. Have you looked everywhere for this before you come, before I even could open my mouth to ask the question and walk into her office? She says, before you come in here, have you looked everywhere and asked everyone and all this stuff? And I was like, and I was, you know, so green, like just, just sweating it out. And, um, I walked out of there. I was like, Nope, I don't think I have. I don't think I have. And I'm not going back in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's tough too, because that gets into things like power dynamics, right? Where it's like, but what was the environment that was told that you had access to, you know, because right. so, so much of that stuff too, people, especially managers or, or, you know, they, they assume that you understand, you fully understand the landscape and the environment that you're put in and the resources in front of you. And I think that's kind of where there's that, that little bit of friction at times is, is, you know, say a manager is disappointed with the person not exploring every single avenue. And that other person's like, well, I don't know what I'm allowed and not allowed to do. Sure. Yeah. You'd have it. You, and that's where I think I have failed the most as a manager when I don't take the time when I couldn't take the time again, because I was a founder, if I'm, it's a very, the landscape is tough to navigate as a founder um, because you just don't have the time, right? So you're rushing things. But when I didn't spend time with an employee that's new, that's when I failed. Mm. Most likely when they failed. And I've noticed that and I can, you know, objectively now, you know, going through it for 15, 16 years, I, I see where, it was really my fault, frankly. Mm. Like some employees aren't right for the environment. That that's holds true for everything, and maybe that was that was ultimately the case. But there are things where you have to give, you have to set the the person up for success, and and whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Um, and like you said, there was a power play. Like that's not really right to say that to me, wherein I'm like nervous as I'll get out clearly. Right. <laughs> yeah. As a new employee, and I don't really know the landscape or how to navigate the, the environment yet. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it did resonate with me and I, I did, res- I do have a tremendous respect for her and her saying that to me because it did get me to think a little more before I just went in there and said I was done with the project. Um, but anyway, I think that's been, I think setting people up, you know, transitioning, I don't know, we're like going on the manager role, but that was really the one of the things that for when I finally figured out sort of my formula and what, what worked with my team, I felt like I had really achieved something. Uh, yeah. I, I care a ton about my employees. I care a tremendous amount of my employees, like uh, amount, I care about them tremendously. Um, I, and I care about our customers tremendously. I, you know, and that's been from day one. Yeah. And well, that's, I mean, that, that again, to kind of jump with that line that you walk to it, when you launch the laundress, you get into a very high touch, very affluent clientele on day one. Mm -hmm. What was, did Chanel kind of train you for some of the expectations of what the, you know, your, your customer was, was looking for in the environment that they wanted. Yes, definitely. And that's a lot of, you know, we touched on it a little before the education piece, you know, they want to know why something costs what it does and they want to know the history behind it. And they want to know what it was like when it was in the runway show. And they, there's a conversation that's had, you know, um, the customers demand that level of, 
of service and as they should, right? And I, my parents are both entrepreneurs. Um, my my mom's a, my mom was an art teacher for thirty something years and had a business as well on the side, like you know that became very successful. And she's she always. I always, I saw her always treating people like the customer was never wrong, you know, <laughs> like mm. it was always very, you know, and the customers can be wrong, but there's a way to, you know, people have different reactions to different things and you have to respect that they bought something, they expect something from it. It may not what be what you you know, wanted them to experience, but they experienced it that way. And that's the, that's it. Right. And, and I, I always say like, you can't make everybody happy, but you can be respectful. And, um, for us, we always return things. We, if someone wasn't happy, because I knew that if they weren't happy, that wasn't to do, that wasn't because our product was bad. It was because it just wasn't right for them. So why argue? right? Like what's the upside there? Nothing. Mm-hmm. And now for someone to give you a review, that's not indicative of your brand or your company. Um, I think it's always important. You know, a lot of, we, I think we had like a handful of returns, like if that, you know, in history, and that's because people didn't like a scent or they didn't know how to use it, or they just decided they didn't want it. I mean, we did have a customer one time return a bottle. I felt like the Omaha steak people, you know how you can eat a steak and return it. <laughs> yeah. So that's my, you know, my husband's from Nebraska. So that's my like Nebraska side of me. <laughs> but um, I, I was always floored by that, how you could eat something and then return it, but, and then feel unhappy with it. And so anyway, but we did have someone return a bottle empty and said they weren't happy with it. <sighs> and I said, okay. I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry you're, you're not happy. And we returned, we refunded their money. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that was painful for me to do. I will be honest. Yeah. There's a lot of ego that you kind of have to. Yeah. 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 You have to get over that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with the laundry stuff, as you were continuing to grow, you were kind of onto something, right? You were the first, I would argue the first like real luxury boutique home I mean, you were doing cleaning stuff, but like home laundry thing. I mean, because I had bought the sweater stone from you guys, the little pumice shaver. I had bought the little cedar blocks that I had put into my drawers. By the way, they were Rubbermaid container drawers that were just absolute crap. I mean, I think that the the cedar was worth more than the than the containers I was using or the milk crates I was putting my clothes in at the time. But you had had all that stuff along. And, you know, what I think is really interesting is you guys have managed to, you know, like what you were saying is like your original SKUs are still like your highest selling stuff. Like how do you as a company, um, you know, innovate and attract new customers while you still, and in a lot of ways are still like just the original iteration of what you were in terms of the core products. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of like a two, three part question, but Oh, it's good. It's a good question. And it's something that, um, you know, is all brand, you know, um, all encompassing for the brand. So because we're, we're not a seasoned product, right. We're, I mean, we are to some degree, we, we do, you know, talk about spring cleaning and we do speak about storing your sweaters for winter and pulling out your items for, 
first spring, summer and how to care for them. That's really where we are super creative with our existing core brand in content. So developing content and partners and partnerships. Um, so we've partnered with a lot, a ton of fashion brands. Um, we just launched a super cool denim wash with frame denim. Oh, geez. Smells amazing. And they're such a great company. Um, and we launched a product with Soul Cycle. We have we did a sweater wash with Brunello Cuccinelli. You mentioned Brunello Cuccinelli, which I'm a huge fan of him. And what he's created is just phenomenal. It's insane. That's another podcast conversation in general because he's so cool. Um, and we've done th- collaborations with Le Labo and and um, you did a John Mayer thing. How how in the heck did that happen? So John Mayer loves clothing. Like he's, well, a, yeah. he's, he's a connoisseur. He loves his VisVam t-shirts and he's, he's really into fashion and textile and textiles. I would say he loves textiles and he hand washes his things. Um, and he loves to, and at the time he was on tour, right? So he was washing things in his sink, like his t-shirts. Cause he hand washes things and doesn't mm-hmm. put them in the dryer. So it's like, he's the perfect client for the laundress and advocate for us. Um, and we saw him washing, uh, he was doing a live chat, washing with a Labo with a Labo laundress detergent Okay, and talking about how much he loved it. So my publicist reached out to him and said, Oh my gosh, you know, like, can we send you more products and bars and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah. And then he, he said he wanted to collaborate with us and like do a, do a program. And so he's super passionate about clothing care. Mm. And, you know, who would have known, who, who would have known that I didn't know that, you know, I just knew him as like an amazing guitarist and a musician, you know, I didn't know him as this clothes horse, like this kind of real, um, and yeah, so that's, that's how that happened. All of our partnerships are super organic. Like with Lalabo, I, um, this was previous when the, the owners, they're now owned by SD Lauder, but at the time we became friendly with um, the owners and we said, we have this idea. We want to take one of, you know, your best selling fragrances and mix it with our. Yeah. Yeah. And we think it would be like home run because their scents are long lasting and you can use it on your bedding. And we, we really want to collaborate with a fragrance brand and we love, love, love a sense. It's what I wear. It's what, you know, all of us seem to wear now, but at the time he, they were, very avant-garde. They were like, no one really knew about them. They'd won yeah. in Christopher street and, and, um, yeah, he, so he got, a, so he got on board pretty quickly, but, but to answer going back to, so collaborations are really, and partnerships have been key, a key pillar to us since the very beginning. Our first, um, co-branded product was with Lucien Palafinet. Now Lucien Palafinet is no longer in business that, that I'm aware of. Um, he had a fabulous store in the village and in, in Paris. And so he, I don't know if you know who he is, um, really cool sweaters, expensive cashmere sweaters with like skateboards on them and skulls. He was really the first to do that sort of graphic on an expensive cashmere sweater. Um, you know, couple 20 years ago. And so we collaborated with him and, and then we just started, I started looking at other brands that I wanted to tap into from a customer sharing perspective, right? So how can we talk about your brand and you talk about our brand and we share big and 
try to capture each other's clients that way. Um, and this was, you know, again, this was early on. I mean, we had like, we had an order form on our website that you faxed in. So <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. I mean, cause it, it just goes to show how far ahead of the game you were right. in the sense of like, you know, cause now it's like, okay, if, if I'm going to be a direct to consumer clothing company, I get my, my neutral pink background, I get my, my Shopify site and, you know, and then I got to do collabs off of the, all the biggest Instagram accounts. Yeah. And that was like, this is before Instagram. This is before all that stuff. And you guys, that was like a part of your DNA. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that, that's just where too, I mean, it's, it's, it goes to show you that like an idea like that, like is all still fresh. I mean, it's still, it's still important. And, and those are, and all of them have been very authentic for us. Like they, they're all brands that we love or views. Like we have a great collaboration with Brooklyn in the Brooklyn and sheets. Um, and you know, those are, again, they're only brands that we love and we use. So I think that's another reason why they're successful. If you start picking random, I've seen, I see some random collaborations and I'm like, okay, that'll be around for like a few months. <laughs> you know, and I, and not to, not to piss on anyone's brain. No, you're all right. <laughs> actually, I learn from a lot of other brands all the time. It's just coming out of that like formula, like you're saying, like you have the Shopify and then you got to do this. And it just feels very, I don't know, what is it? It's just like a, there's a, that's the formula now, but you've got to think outside of that formula. Okay. You need all those things. They're fundamental, right? We needed a website. We were, we tapped into a friend that knew how to do HTML. She did our site for us. HTML. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you think about like, this is crazy, right? We we were using fax machines and no one knew this is a fax machine. If I told my nine-year-old to fax something, she would be like, what's that? Yeah. Or like looking at the machine, you know, as if it's some strange object. So the 13 core products we've used with con- content-driven collaborations, also speaking about different seasons that where you, when and where you would use the products. Um, we also talk about like during the Olympics, we talked about our sport detergent because it was really relevant. So we tap into what current affairs are happening and speak to our customers in that way mm. um, through content driven. And then obviously the product follows, but it creates newness because we have over 65 products in our collection now. And so a lot of things get buried or people will say, I don't know what to start with. Mm. So we're educating them. Existing customers, we we want to create newness with. So we launched recently in July a new scent called 723, which has been really, really wildly successful. And it's an amazing rose scent, like kind of deep rose scent. Um, and then so every year we're looking at doing more scents and fragrances to create newness and excitement and, you know, for our existing customers. And then but there's still a lot of people that don't know about us, you know, Someone said to me the other day, I can't believe I don't know. I didn't know about your brand until I met you. And I said, I know, I don't know why, you know, I really, that bothers me because this person I was talking to should have been a customer for a decade at this point, you know? And I realized that it's because we don't have a large retail footprint. I think, and it's inter, even though we have all of, I mean, that's what I think. That's like sort of my gut feeling that differentiates us from other brands like the Aesops of the world or the Labos of the world or the, because we have a tremendous wholesale distribution. I love retail. I love traditional retail. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding in agreement for listeners. Yeah. Okay. It's It's an interest. And I, and 
I can't be quoted on that, but I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that, but it's, I feel like that's why there are consumers that have missed us. Yeah, maybe I, I cause I definitely am tr- cause I, I found you guys cause I was looking for you guys. Right. And so, and, and that that's, but it makes me wonder, you know, but I'm a weirdo. Like, so how many people, yeah. you know, I'm, Nick, you're a unicorn in that way. <laughs> There's no way. Not many people are looking, maybe now more than ever. When you when you look at the the thirty thousand foot view of brands, and especially now, people don't really want to connect to brands as much as they want to connect to Lindsay Boyd, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I want to know like what you do, what you eat, what you now like. That's, but that that's the unfortunate thing of you know, the American consumer is the best and worst thing you can do is tell an American consumer. No, I know it's true. <laughs> it's true. It is the best and the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We only allow you to buy one thing of detergent a month. You yeah. know, people be like, what? Um, but you know, fragrances are really important to the experience. And, um, it was really important that we didn't have these like very mundane scents, like lemon zest or, you know, um, ocean breeze, those things that you kind of can expect in our space. We really went against every single, we went against the grain. We went against every traditional rule that was in the cleaning space. We really positioned ourselves more as beauty. In Mm. fact, um, we look more like beauty. And, and I actually had a, I gave a 30 minute, this is one of my like most favorite memories is I had a sales meeting with, um, with a client from Asia for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. And then at the end, he asked me how long I was in skincare for. Hmm. Yeah. So, so we got a lot of that. A lot of people thought we were beauty products. A lot of people based on what we looked like, like our, our products look really nice. Yeah. No. And we didn't want, we wanted something that you could have on your shelf. Right, right. That could be exposed and not look like an eyesore or something that you were worried that your child was going to get into, you know, like because it looked like candy, you know, or the <laughs> Tide Pods. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, I mean, yeah, those are trash. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's bad. So, friends, I'm, I, I appreciate your affinity for good smelling things and people, we have a baby detergent, you know, which obviously people use on their children and then they get older and they still want to use it. So, because it reminds them of their children and there's these, the scent is powerful. And, um, that's been one, that's been a really fun piece of the development for the brand too. As the company and your influence in the space has gotten, I mean, just incredibly large, Mm -hmm. what sort of like pressures or drives do you feel that you have now to kind of like lead the industry? So I think, uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) or there's, you know, different things, right? There's the, the product formulation piece of it is really important. Um, making sure that we are ahead of the trend. So ahead in the sense, and I use the word trend, but it's really more about just being as green as possible and being as eco, eco responsible, eco-responsible is really to us, um, creating products that are better for the environment, um, and, and for the, you know, for 
all-encompassing, um, looking at refill programs. So that responsibility is huge for us. Um, Unilever also owns Seventh Generation, which is a huge brand that we admire tremendously um, from the work that they've done. And, and they're really the brand that we were using before we had the laundress. Um, and I still use them in, in a lot of ways in my home. Not their detergent, but I use it. <laughs> yeah. I've already told them that they, they know. Um, <laughs> but, and actually the head chemist there loved the laundress prior to us being part of the Unilever family. So that was a big coup for us. There you um, go. We highly, we admire them very much. And um, so the formulation piece is a, is a serious responsibility that we have and being as a global brand, we have to comply in all different spaces. And so that's a lot of things that we're, we're looking into from packaging, post-consumer recycled back packaging for sustainability. Um, always something on the forefront of, of Guan and I's mind. Um, so that's key, a key pillar. And then for me as a founder, I I want to be a mentor and I want to help. Like I really love doing podcasts. So I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. I, people learn something from what I'm telling them. And I think also it's important that um for, for aspiring entrepreneurs or just people that maybe they want to change a career or really understands that it's, it can be done and you don't need, like we were totally self-funded. You don't need a ton of money and you don't need to, um, you know, we only hear, we hear more about the big guys, right? The people that have a ton of VC money and, you know, become super, like an overnight sensation or not overnight sensation. That's a bad description, but, but, but basically we, we hear a lot about these bigger companies that don't seem as attainable. Right. And, and even when I was going through the process at 15, well, more than that, 18, 19 years ago, you look to these people for ideas and like these companies that have done, you know, at the time it was all about beauty. Beauty was getting acquired rapidly at the time. And so it sometimes can be discouraging. And for me, I want to, be encouraging to people. And I want people to see that a normal person <laughs> or, you know, can, can do it with a lot of passion and a lot of drive. And it's, it's hard work, you know, and, but I, that's really, so me being a mentor and being able to give back in that way is, is really important to me because now I have time to do that. Right. I, have an, I was giving to my employees before and to the business and to the brand. Um, so for me personally, I, I, that's one of my, you know, create continuing the vision and keeping the DNA, DNA strong of who we are is important. And then also being able to mentor and help others. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I think that's, that's where I feel like most like big CEOs and founders can be the most impactful, especially like when you, they have a brand that, you, you know, is, is at the level that they're at too, because of the other employees that are working there. And so you're able to kind of, cause it's, you, it's, no one's found a way to scale a, a human yet. Thankfully. <laughs> God, we're still valuable. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, that's always a struggle, right? You, you, you're pulled in many directions and you have to focus on the business and you don't get to, um, you know, and you have to manage your team, like what we talked about earlier. So yeah. Being able to um, have some time to breathe and have conversations with people like you and, you know, being able to help other businesses that are trying to, to you know, that have these questions that are very, come very easy to me because I've been through it, you know? Yeah. And I know it's not easy going through it. And I know that 
And I, I very respectful of that um, because it's not easy <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, but Lindsay, thank you again. It was, it was great talking with you. Thank you so much. Lovely chatting with you, Jeremy. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We don't know where they are. We don't know who they are, but they make the tunes that supply the bee. We're edited by Brendan Finn, and we're produced by Blamo Media. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast, and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Look, I don't get all the reviews either, but give us the five stars. Do it for the B. If you want even more Blamo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo to join the Blam fam and get access to additional interviews, a community slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Yes, there are many of us hard at work here, and we love your support. All right, everyone, stay safe out there.